talked about it quite a bit, but I'm a, I'm a big baseball guy. Played uh, all of my life. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I love baseball. When I was about 12 years old, I, uh, I played on a team that was for 12 to 16-year-olds. Now, in present day, that doesn't happen a lot unless you're playing like on a school team or some kind of select team that you try out for. But this was like a recreational league. All the teams were made up of 12 to 16-year-olds. It was kind of odd because, I mean, you know, like 12 and 16-year-olds, I don't know. It just it was a really weird fit for us. And uh, we, we had the evaluation. They drafted the team. Team. And when we showed up to our first practice, it became pretty clear pretty quickly who the best player on the team was. It was a guy named Keith. And man, he could do things that I never dreamed I could accomplish on a baseball field. Like, it was amazing. He could hit it a little farther. He could throw it a little harder. He could run a little faster. I mean, it was amazing to see the things that he could do on a baseball field. I honestly thought he was doing things like that I watched major leaguers do. And uh, so we, you know, we had some practices and I watched uh, after we were done, uh, kind of how things were taking place. All of the team was getting, you know, getting done, putting all of our stuff in our ball bag. And, and, and I was 12, and so as I put all my gear in, um, where I was going next, my dad was waiting for me at the end of the dugout, and I was going to go home with him. But I noticed that like three of the cutest girls I had ever seen were just kind of hanging around outside of the dugout. And I assumed they were waiting for me. I, no, I'm just kidding. I knew they weren't waiting for me. Um, and so here, here's, they were waiting for Keith, obviously. So here's what Keith did. Keith took all of his equipment, put it in his ball bag. Then he pulled out a little small mirror. I kid you not. Took his hat off, checked his hair. It was perfect, obviously. At the end of a two-hour baseball practice, his hair still, still looked amazing. Then he took his jersey off, folded it up, put it in his bag. Then he took his undershirt off, folded it up, put it in his bag. Now, I was a little intimidated at this point because he had more muscles than I knew you could have as a teenager. Like, he had muscles in places I didn't think you could get muscle. Like, it was amazing. So here he is with perfect hair, no shirt on, walking out of the dugout to go hang out with these three cute teenage girls. I went and got my dad's Ford Explorer and went home. It was not the same experience that we had after practice. So we continued to practice, and like the next practice when we got together, like I heard Keith say to one of the other players while we were doing a drill, hey, you know, I mean, it's obvious, like, I'm the best player on the team. Well, when he said that, even though I agreed with him, I got like this nauseous stomach stuff, feeling in my stomach. Like, I, it just kind of made me mad that he knew how good he was. Like, I want people that are really, really good to just be humble about it. Like, let me brag on you. Don't brag on yourself. Like, even at 12, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And so then we have a few more practices, and then we have our games begin. And man, in our games, sure enough, I mean, he was a great player. We won some games because he was so good. But man, it was amazing to watch what happened with Keith. Like if we were winning, he was giving his all. He was trying his best. He was trying to help us win. If we were losing, like he quit trying. He was just hanging out in the dugout. He was talking to the girls through the fence. Like it was, it was just crazy to watch how he, you know, changed his attitude and changed his involvement in the game. I would hear him say things if we won about how it was because of him that we won. And I would hear him say things that if we lost, it was because of us that we lost, not because of him. And it rubbed me the wrong way. Man, I, if I could have beat him up, I would have done it. But I was 12. He was 16. He had muscles in places I'd never dreamed of. I still don't have muscles in some of those places. And so, like, it wouldn't have helped me to do it. But I just really wanted to give him what for, right? Because people like that are annoying, aren't they? 
Nobody's going to say they're annoying. Just me this morning. I'm just up here confessing this morning. Right? Aren't people like that just so annoying? You just want people to be humble. But no. You know what Keith did? Keith loved him some Keith. He loved himself. And so today as we continue in this series that we've been in for a couple of Sundays... We're talking about the essentials. We're talking about really those components of our lives that we believe Scripture calls for us to have to really live the kind of life that God wants us to live. And it's found, uh, really the, the basis of this entire series is found in the book of Luke, chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, you can flip with me there. If you've got some kind of app on your phone, feel free to flip to, uh, to that spot or scroll to that spot. Uh, Luke, chapter 10, is a conversation between Jesus and an expert in the law. An expert is a kind of a religious leader. It's someone that really knows what they're talking about about related to God's word. And so in this time, in this day and age, Jesus was talking to one of those individuals. And so he's talking to an expert in the law. And this expert asks Jesus a question. He says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to find life after death? If there's more to life than what I see with my eyes, what do I have to do? And Jesus says to him, well, what do you, what have you heard? What do you think the answer to that is? And in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, we see the man's response. He says this, he answered, love the Lord. Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now we've heard, and we've actually talked about it already, how to love God with your heart. We've heard and we've already talked about how to love God with your mind. We've heard and we talked last week about how to love God with your soul and your strength. Next week we're going to talk about loving others, but there is an implication here, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, that we are to love ourselves. Now, we want to be careful with that, and there's a tension here, I understand, because if we're not careful, we can love ourselves so much we turn into guys like Keith, right? And that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about trying to become the type of person that is so arrogant, so self-centered, who loves themselves so much, who thinks so highly of themselves that, man, nobody wants to be around them. But if, if the religious leader is talking to Jesus, and Jesus in talking to him says, hey, what have you heard that you have to do to inherit eternal life? In that conversation, in that answer, it's love God with your heart, love God with your mind, love God with your soul, love God with your strength, love your neighbor, but also love yourself. It's implied here. There's something that's very specifically called out for us to do, and that is to love ourselves. Now, almost any time we talk about the subject of love, we almost always go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if we're talking about something from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 is quoted in marriage, uh, wedding ceremonies. It's, it's quoted at anniversary parties and renewing of the vows. It's, it's on uh, coffee mugs. It's on t-shirts. It's on Facebook memes. I mean, it's, it's quoted all over the place. You don't even have to be a Christian to use these words to talk about the subject of love. And I want us to read it out of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. This is what it says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, Again, we almost always, as it relates to Scripture, talking about the subject of love, we almost always point to 1 Corinthians 13. But almost every time that we point to 1 Corinthians 13, we are talking about it in the context of relationships with other people. 
right? If I'm talking about my relationship to my wife, I'm saying, hey, love is patient. I'm supposed to be patient. I'm supposed to be kind. Even if you take it outside of romantic love and you just talk about with friends or coworkers, if I love these people, then I'm, I can't, you know, be resentful. I can't be boastful, prideful, arrogant. I can't keep record of wrongs. And that's what we read in 1 Corinthians 13. But if we're talking about the subject of love and we are talking about loving ourselves, then what if those same verses apply to the love that we are supposed to have towards ourselves? Again, keeping in mind, we're not trying to turn into Keith here, right? We're not trying to turn into someone so arrogant, so in love with themselves that they're just somebody you don't want to be around. But if we want to love ourselves in the way that we believe God is asking us to do in a healthy and appropriate way, then what if these words also speak to us in that way? What is it that God may be asking of us in the way that we love ourselves before we attempt to love him, before we attempt to love other people? And so today, coming out of the context, I think, of 1 Corinthians 13, I have five things for us that I believe someone who loves themselves will display. They'll exhibit. Maybe you want to write these down if this is something that you struggle with or somebody maybe in your life struggles with or you can tap these in your phone or whatever. I'll just assume you're not checking Facebook. But, you know, you could just kind of keep notes here of the things that you believe and I believe out of 1 Corinthians 13 are these demonstration, these characteristics of someone who really loves themselves. And so the first thing that I see, somebody that loves themselves, the first thing that I see that they would display is that they know that God loves them. Somebody who loves themselves they know that God loves them. Now, here's the thing. Maybe that sounds like the most churchy thing I could say. Maybe that sounds like something a pastor would say. Well, guess what? You're in church and I am a pastor, all right? So you've got to know that God loves you if you're going to love yourself. And so we read in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It says this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is so also because he is so also are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love we have to see here that if we're going to love ourselves or if we're going to love other people that love originates with God God is love. And I know a lot of people in the world, they love other people. They love things, even if they say they're not connected to God. But I believe with all of my heart that God created the world. And in that, he also demonstrates and created this idea of love because it is his very nature. God is love. He doesn't just do love. He is love. And so he demonstrates that for all of us. And so for us to love anybody, anything, including ourselves, it begins by knowing that God is love and that he loves us. This book was a book that my mom gave to me. She actually gave it to me twice. She gave it to me when I was 18 and I lost it. And then she gave it to me again when I was 25 for, for Christmas one year. And it's called Jesus Loves Me. There's obviously a, a little kid's song we sang when we were little about this idea. But it's called Jesus Loves Me. It's by Calvin Miller. If you struggle with the idea of God loving you in any way, I, I highly encourage you to get this book, to read this book. But I wanted to read just a little uh, passage out of this book that I think is, is so powerful it says this, Jesus loves me is unprovable, but never open to much debate. Between the Genesis downbeat and the final chord of Revelation is a vast unfolding song of love. 
God loves Adam and gives him a garden as a studio where he paints his love in bold, natural strokes. God loves Abraham and his love teaches us that barrenness and old age cannot thwart the gift of a child or the birth of nations. God loves Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. And if this matter-of-fact tale of his love is not enough, he tells us plainly that he loved the world so much he gave us the gift of his son. God's great love is the grand essential of all worthy living. It's the essential. If we're going to truly love others, we have to understand that God loves us. It's the first place that we have to start if we're ever going to understand the love of God. If we're ever going to love ourselves or love anybody, so we have to understand the love of God. It's a personal conviction of mine. I've believed it probably all of my adult life because I wrestled with this idea of God loving me unconditionally. That if I could never grasp that from God toward me, then every, every other relationship in my life would be conditionally based. I would only love people as they met the conditions that I set for them. They make me feel good. They give me something. They do something for me. But when I came to the place where I recognized that God just loves me, he loves me unconditionally, then I was able to love myself and love other people out of that same idea of unconditional love to the very best of my ability as a human being. So the first thing that I think we see for people that really love themselves is that they understand that God loves them. The second thing is that I think they see themselves as God sees them. They see themselves as God sees them. And again, church, pastor, you think, man, that's what you're supposed to say. Well, you're in church and I'm a pastor. That is what I'm supposed to say because it's true. You listen, there are so many people in our world. There are so many people that we're doing life with who they're the ones trying to set for you the way you view yourself. They're the ones trying out of their own insecurity to shape how you view yourself. You think, man, I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good at that. I, I kind of think, you know, I'm not terribly ugly when I dress this way. Or what. And man, what do they do? They come and tear you down. They say, oh man, I can't believe you would wear that. I can't believe you would do this. Oh, you think you're good at that? No, you're not really good at that. Oh, I mean, if you think you are, I guess that's okay for, you know, for somebody like you. And what does that do, man? It, it causes us to become insecure. It causes us to question the things that we thought we were good at. And now we're like, well, I don't know. I don't even know if I, if I am as pretty as I thought. I don't know if I'm as talented as I thought I was. I don't know if I'm actually as good as I thought that I was because other people out of their own insecurities begin to help shape for us a view of reality about ourselves that is not the true reality. It's their interpretation of us. I was with a guy this past week and we were sitting at a table and somebody else walked up and was talking to us and said to this other guy, he said, oh man, you sound like and named an actor, a famous actor who doesn't have the greatest voice in the world. And this guy that heard him say that said, really, that's who I sound like? He was like, man, I, I've never thought about that. I've never heard that. I, I, I hope not because man, I, I don't think that guy sounds very good. He said, but I guess, you know, we hear ourselves differently than other people hear us, right? Because the way that I sound to, right now, I sound like Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know if that's how you're hearing it. But in my head, that's how I sound. That's the soundtrack of my life, right? I don't know how you're viewing me, but the way I view myself sometimes, I mean, it's probably better than you are viewing because the way we see ourselves, the way we hear ourselves, it's different than the way that other people see us and the way that other people view us. And so if we are constantly shaped by the other people's interpretation of us, the other people's view of us, then we're always going to be changing. 
That's what's so crazy about our teenage years and even our high school years and our college years because we allow so many voices to shape their interpretation of us so that we begin to take on those identities. Well, I guess I'll be this kind of person over here and this kind of person over here. I guess I'll do these things... No, because we're allowing other people to define us and to shape their view of us and how we view ourselves. And so if we're going to love ourselves, not just do we have to know that God loves us, we have to also see ourselves as God sees us. We cannot allow other people to shape that in us and to define us because they can't see the real us. I ran across this not too long ago, and I, I don't know who to attribute it to. I don't know who to quote. I've tried to find the source. So if you love it, it was me. I originated it. But listen to this. Never base your value on the opinion of someone who can't see what you're worth. Never base your value on the opinion of someone who can't see what you're worth. And if I am constantly allowing other people who can't see my worth and my value to shape that in me, I am constantly going to fall short of the way that God views me. Because how does God view me? Genesis 1, 26, right up front in the very first chapter of Scripture, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, I giggle when I read about creeping things, but here's what I know. When God made me, he made me in his image. When God made you, he made you in his image. He made you in his likeness. My wife and I have four kids and man, we've been told that none of the four of them look the same. They all look like they're not even hardly related, but they are. But when I look at my four kids, I see little things in each of them that look just like their mother. I see little things in each of them that look just like me. And here's what I know. When God looks at you, he sees himself. He sees a glimpse of himself because when he made you, when he made me, he made us in his likeness, in his image. So not only do we have to know that God loves us, not only do we have to see ourselves the way that God sees us, the third thing that if you really are going to love yourself that you have to do is you have to care for yourself. Somebody that loves themselves cares for themselves. Ephesians 5 verse 29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now the context for this verse of Scripture is a passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul is writing about husbands and wives. He's writing, this is that passage of scripture that says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and that wives are to submit to their husbands as the church does back to Christ. And so this is a larger context where the apostle Paul says, listen, hey, he sums up what we just read in Luke 10. He says, listen, nobody hates themselves. Everybody loves themselves. Everybody cares for themselves. He's making an assumption here that most of us don't really assume about ourselves. But man, he says, no, listen, everybody takes care of themselves. You don't believe me? When was the last time you intentionally just didn't eat? Right? Not because you were fasting, not because you were dieting. You just didn't because you just didn't care for yourself, right? There's something wrong with that. I don't skip meals on purpose. I don't. Like if I'm with a group of people and like it gets to lunchtime and we're still working, we'll just keep working. But eventually I'm going to be like, listen, y'all just keep working. I got to go eat. I'm, I'm like, I, I don't have low blood sugar, but sometimes I claim that just so I can go. I got my, my blood sugar is going to bottom out here in a minute. If I'm not careful, I'm going to go eat a Whopper. It's got a good bit of sugar for what I need to bring it back up. But I mean, I don't, I nourish myself. Why? Because I care about my body. I care about myself. I want to take care of myself to make sure that I can do the things that I need 
to do. Anytime we don't do that, there's something out of order. Because Paul says, listen, who, nobody hates their own flesh. You're supposed to love your flesh. You're supposed to love yourself. You care for yourself. You, have you flown recently? I mean, it, it, they, they talk about this idea. We tune them out. We've already got our headphones in. We're reading Sky Mall magazine to see what in the world they've created now that people are buying. Oh, I need a bonsai tree in the shape of a trumpet. I don't know why anyone would buy that. But man, they got the dumbest things in there. So we're just flipping through there, seeing what, you know, humanity's created that's ignorant. And so like we're reading that. We're not listening to the stewardess, to the flight attendant. We got our headphones in and she's like, put away your devices. You're like, yes. And then you hide it and you just keep doing whatever you're, no, nobody does that. Okay. Just somebody else I heard about. But so we're not listening, but what do they say? They say in the event of an emergency, in the event that this plane is going down and you have a child with you. You are supposed to put your mask on first before you put their mask on. And if you think about that, you go, man, that's so mean. That's so rude because they can't care for themselves. But guess what? They know that if you don't take care of yourself, you can't care for the child that is with you. Like if you're trying to take care of them and they're fighting because they're scared and they're nervous and they're flailing around and you're hitting turbulence and you're trying to get the thing, the little strap thing over their head and put that in the right spot so they can, but you haven't yet taken on good oxygen as the cabin is decompressing. Like they know that you're not going to survive long enough to care for them. And so they say, listen, before you do any of that, what you have to do is make sure that you're cared for. You have to make sure that you're, so put the mask on you as quickly as you can, breathe in good oxygen so that you can help put the mask on the person next to you. I've got a lot of people in my life that I am called to care for, my wife and my kids and people in my life, people in our church, people that I do life with. But here's what I know. If I am constantly caring for them, caring for them, giving to them, giving of my time, giving of my energy, and I'm not making sure that I care for myself, I'm going to be so depleted that I've got nothing left good to give. I've got to start from a place of caring for myself, being a self-feeder, reading God's word, praying, making sure that I'm eating right, exercising, resting, so that I can care for the people in my life out of a place of peace and rest and making sure that I have been cared for as well. Now, I, I know if you're not careful, you do that to the point that you become Keith. Like you just care for you, care for you, care for you, make it about you, make it about you, and you just kind of leave everybody else hanging out. No, no, no. Care for yourself first and then turn your attention to those around you. That's so important for all of us to make sure that we are caring for ourselves out of love for ourselves. The next thing that I think is important for all of us is to surround ourselves with godly influences. Somebody that loves themselves, they surround themselves with godly influences. 1 Corinthians 15:33 says, "Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. This idea that you can have the best of intentions, the best morals, you can have the best ideas about what you want your life to be about, but if you're hanging out with people that aren't trying to do the same things, they're going to drag you down. My youth pastor, when I was about 13 or 14, gave an illustration that I realize has tons of holes in it. I realize it's not a perfect metaphor or illustration for what I'm about to say, but man, I've never forgotten it. Just the imagery of it, I believe, helps so much 
in us understanding this idea. It wasn't on a Wednesday night like in a large youth service. It was like 12, 13, 14 of us in like a leadership class, a discipleship class. And he was talking to us about relationships. And there was a girl in that class that I was in who was talking about wanting to date this guy who was not a Christian. He wasn't a believer. She was a Christian. Uh, and, and, she, and so that she was talking about this. And my youth pastor was very careful in what he said. He said, listen, you're not better than him. There's, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. You're not, there's not something wrong with him. All we're saying is you need to be careful about the influences that you allow into your life. And so he said to this girl, he said, you know, if you're on this trajectory to pursue God and to have God be the center of your life and you are, you know, kind of connecting your life, Scripture calls it yoking yourself, kind of permanently attaching yourself to someone else that's headed in a different direction than you are, then you're going to run into trouble. And he used this illustration. I'm going to ask Pastor Trevor to come here and stand right here. He said, listen, here's the deal. If you are dating someone, you're, you're yoking yourself up, you're talking to somebody on a, I mean, you're spending a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of energy with this person, he said, listen, it would almost be like if you're standing like this, you're not better than them, you're not higher than them, there's not something better about you than there is about them, but we're saying, hey, your, your life's about a higher purpose, your life is about pursuing something of God, something higher and bigger than yourself, and your, your friend that you're pursuing time with, he's about something different, he's not about a higher purpose, he's about himself, and he's about the things of the world that are around him, and he said, so if you kind of get yoked up, if you get connected, who do you think's going to have an easier time pulling the other to their level? He said, if you're trying to get your boyfriend or your friend up to where you're level, not because you're better, not because you're, you've got something better than, but if you're trying to get them up, him up to your level, it's going to be hard to get him all the way up there. But if he tries to start pulling you, how easily is it for you to fall into that place of lower purpose, different purpose than the higher purposes you've said your life is about? Now, I realize there's tons of holes in that illustration, but I think the imagery of that that says... I want to make sure I am connected to people who are pursuing the same things in life as me. To have voices that are different and to have things that help challenge me and sharpen me, but to make sure that I am connected to people who are going the same direction that my life is headed so that they're not trying to pull me away from the plans and purposes and value that God has placed into my life. So if you really love yourself, you say, well, I want to make sure that I'm surrounding myself with godly influences. That's why we believe so much in the power of life groups. You heard that in the announcement time that our life group signups are beginning. This is not just another event. It's not just another thing to fill your calendar. We're saying, hey, we want you to get connected in groups with people that can sharpen you, hold you accountable, have fun together, do life together. So surround yourself with godly influences. And the last thing is this. If you really love yourself... I would say that you need to make sure that you don't allow your past to define you. If you love, somebody that loves themselves doesn't let their past define them. Let's look at this in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34, and then we're going to jump to Acts 2 quickly. Jesus is speaking here, and he says to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Acts chapter 2 verse 14 says this, Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your 
your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This idea of allowing our past to define us is probably the thing that trips people up the most. In my time in ministry, I hear so many people that are talking about this idea. Maybe they don't use the exact same words. They're talking about this this idea. And in this passage of Scripture, these two passages together, what we see here is a conversation with Peter and Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter, right before he's going to go to the cross, he says, listen, uh, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, 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 I would go to jail for you. I would go even to death for you. And and Jesus is like, no, 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 listen, here's what's going to happen. Satan's tried to see, he wants to sift you like weed. He wants to challenge you, he wants to tempt you. And here's what's going to happen. You're actually going to deny me three times before the rooster even crows. But listen, and make sure you hear these words. Jesus says to Peter, he says, but when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He says, you're going to turn away. You're going to deny me. But after you do that and you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And then Peter denies Jesus. Jesus later says, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. He says, okay, well, take care of my sheep. They go to the upper room on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The power of God falls, and I believe, I don't know if I'm reading too much in it, I believe that Peter steps forward with the power of God in his life, understanding that God has given him a second chance to proclaim that he knows Christ. And he says, repent and be baptized. There was a plan for Peter post-failure. And here's the thing, it wasn't just that it happened post-failure. Jesus told him the plan before he even failed. He said, listen, here's what's going to happen. You're going to deny me three times. You're going to turn away. You're going to fall away. I wish it wouldn't happen. I've prayed for you. I've prayed for strength for you. But I wish it wouldn't happen, but it's going to happen. But when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus did not expect perfection from Peter. Like, that's hard for us to to think about because we think it's all about achieving perfection in a life with God. Jesus did not expect perfection from Peter. So if you are expecting perfection from yourself, I want you to think about it this way. You are expecting more out of yourself than Christ does. Like, if you are expecting perfection, you are actually holding yourself to a higher standard than God does. Now, here is what I want us to all know. What is God looking for from us? He's looking for us to be found in the righteousness of Christ, which means it's not about our actions. It's not about our behavior that we find perfection. It's actually through pursuit of Christ that we find perfection. It's actually in a constant pursuit of Jesus Christ that God looks at us and says, yes, that's where you're found righteous. That's where you're found holy. Not because you were perfect. No, 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 listen, you're going to fall away. But when you fall back, when you turn back, when you come back to me, strengthen your brothers. Be about my purpose. Tell other people what your life is intended to be about. Like, it's not about perfection. It's about continual pursuit that God is looking for. And so if you love yourself, you say, well, I understand that God loves me. I see myself the way that God sees me. 
I care for myself, I surround myself with godly influences, and I make sure that my past does not define me. Now, obviously, there's a healthy balance that we're pursuing. We don't want to turn into Keith. There's a healthy balance that we're talking about here because we're wanting to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. There is an idea that we can love ourselves too much. We can make it too much about us. We can focus on ourselves too much. And we are to love ourselves in the same way that we love our neighbor, which we'll talk about a little bit next week. Listen, Scripture says we're to deny ourselves. Scripture tells us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. But it also says that we are to love ourselves. And it's not just about you loving yourself. If you listen to the things that we talked about here, what we said was that it was about God's love for us. It was about God's view of us. It was about caring for the spirit that God placed inside of us. It was about godly influences around us. And it was about God's grace toward us. So to love ourselves, we have to see ourselves that way. And if you say, well, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, you read a passage out of this book, and there is that little kid's song, but I don't know if God really loves me. I'm going to ask the band to come as we conclude this moment. And, and here's what I would say to you. When you're asking yourself, does God love me? And how does that look? And how does that flesh out? And what does that look like? I would just turn your attention to John 3.16. This is a passage of Scripture that so many of us know, even people that are not connected to faith and don't really feel like they know God's Word well. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. If I could paraphrase that just in the context of what we're talking about without taking anything away from or adding anything to Scripture, I would say it something like this. For God so loves you and me that He sent Jesus to the earth. And if you believe in Jesus and Jesus is the demonstration of God's love for you, then you can live forever with God. If God loves you, then why can't you love yourself? If a God who created you, who knows your innermost thoughts, your biggest failures, even in advance of you failing, if that God loves you, why do we find it so difficult to love ourselves, to let ourselves off the hook? Scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that was his demonstration of love towards us. And so today I would just say to you, like, God loved you first. And so it's okay for you to love yourself.